Welcome to No Baller. I am Chris Rawl. It is Friday, June 25th. On today's show, how you must lose before you can win. Before we get there, uh, we have an app. You can search for it on any form of your choosing. Just search for the name, The Beehive TV. Download it. Spread the word. Uh, please and thank you. We'll start today's show with gambling. And one tidbit, why gambling should be legal in the state of Utah. Last night, the Clippers and the Suns play Game 3 of the Western Conference Finals. And I'm, I'm so in the weeds with player prop bets, it's truly hard to describe to your average person. So I won't go into it as much, but I will tell you about two specific bets I made. Uh, Zubots, the center for the Los Angeles Clippers, it seems like they're leaning into him playing more uh, and trying to go away from the small ball that won them the series against Utah. So I bet his over 16.5 points plus rebounds plus assists, and I bet over 7.5 rebounds. I say it's going to be a throwback to the big man ball era where the big center, you know, your Greg Oster tag or your Greg Foster gets it and pivots in place for 22 seconds and then chucks something at the backboard. That's what I'm hoping for last night. And indeed, it comes true. Zubots plays a bunch of minutes. He plays admirably, 15 points, 16 rebounds. He's actually 9 for 10 from the free throw line, a deft touch from our good friend. And the Clippers end up winning. I don't really care about that. All I care is my player props are cashing out the wazoo. Zubots amongst them. And we get a reason why gambling should be legal in the state of Utah, because it will make you cheer for a brute to grab the ball in the low post and whistle his elbows around and lay it in with caveman-like touch. And now, a word from our sponsor, Traeger Grills. With your Traeger invented the original wood-fired grill over 30 years ago in Mount Angel, Oregon. They continue to lead the industry as the world's number one selling wood-fired grill, perfected by decades of mastering the craft of wood-fired cooking. You can find out more at TraegerGrills.com. Before you can win, you must lose. This is a truth of life, especially when it comes to sports, and I've received a lot of reminders of this particular idea Lately, I want to start today's episode in the world of amateur golf, uh, the, the love of my life in present day, something that I've been involved with for the last eight years and that I've talked about somewhat on this show. And competitive amateur golf, it's a true journey. It's a true building up of yourself into something more than you once were. Uh, and as you try to win, it really aligns with this idea that you have to lose. There's no way around it in the world of golf. You can't pick up a club out of the blue and be good at it. It's the most frustrating and maddening thing you will ever do that requires athleticism and hand-eye coordination. It's not like any other sport. Uh, really gifted athletes, they can start playing basketball out of the blue and still contribute. They can play defense. They can rebound. You know, Maybe they're good at shooting. Who knows? Uh, you can go and play football without an understanding of the game. If you're fast, if you can hit hard or do these things. Golf is not like that. It's this constant process of breaking down what you think you know, which is nothing, and you try to swing a golf club in a manner that seems natural, and that's not how you swing a golf club. And so then you got to break that down to ground zero, and then you got to build yourself, and you got to learn how to make a full swing. You got to learn how to putt. You got to learn how to read a green. You got to learn how to chip. And you build up all these foundational skills. And then you learn other things because part of the, the journey of competitor, competitive amateur golf is understanding how to exist within these 
uh, bigger moments within a tournament or within a money game or just things like that. So you build physical skills up and then you start to uh, accentuate those with mental skills, with understanding of how to perform under pressure, with an understanding of how to perform on a course that's set up tougher, with greens that are faster and firmer, with pins that are more tucked away than they are on a, on a normal day. The constant process of slamming your head against the wall. Again, I've talked about this somewhat on the show, but the early years of my golf career, it was crashing and burning to the 100th degree. And that's not exclusive to me. Again, this is everybody within the world of competitive amateur golf. I've talked about this with people who I play with. Uh, people who have played a lot longer than I and who've gone through what I'm going through in years past. And they go, oh, it's interesting to watch you go through stuff that I remember, you know. I've mentioned a tournament, my very first one that I went into, and on the third tee with a bunch of people watching, I missed the ball with it. And it was one of those baptism by fire moments where either curl up into a ball or, or you take what you can from the tournament and learn from it. And I finished the tournament and I shoot 130 and I'm dead last by 20 shots. Uh, and it's one of those things that I either have to say, this game isn't for me and that was humiliating and I just want to go and, and beat it around with my friends and not really have to worry about this. Or if it's something I care about uh, and I care about getting better and I care about being a competitive golfer, then how do I become better from this moment? It's a constant process of evolution. Uh, so you lose, you lose, you lose, you lose. So for eight years, that's it for me. It's a lot of losing uh, and then doing a little bit better and doing a little bit better and doing a little bit better. Uh, it's having faith in that process because for eight years, I'm sitting there going, I've never won a tournament. Uh, and a lot of times that seems really far away, especially for the first six or seven years of that journey. And it's having faith that what I'm doing uh, will at some point become the ultimate manifestation, uh, an actual win. So I practice and I put myself in tournaments and I put myself in these uh, pressure-laden moments and I don't perform in them like I want, but it's all part of that learning curve. That's what I have to believe. It's trusting in the process. Uh, it's the willingness to make changes, but not too much because that will alter completely what you are. So it's what can I tweak on smaller levels? Once I have the foundational skills in place, what can I change by this much that will help improve what I'm doing? Uh, and then it boils down to, once you have all of that in place, the ability to execute in the moment. Uh, and that's a whole other can of worms because there are very few times that you're going to be in a position to win. And when you are, you hope that you can pull upon all of this uh, training and understanding and learning and heartbreak to turn it into something uh, that, that you're trying to obtain. So... A part of this thing is being alongside people that have been there and done that. Uh, that's part of what's helped me a ton within my own golf journey. You know, I play with a lot of really accomplished golfers. Very good. You know, they played collegiately or, or they played out here on a, on a mini tour or two, or they're currently having a lot of success within their own uh, golf spheres. And I get to see how these people respond in bigger moments. And that is a great learning process for me because now I have it in front of my face and I go, these people aren't perfect in the way that I thought they were on the golf course. I look at a final number and I go, that person shot 67. They must have been perfect. And then I play alongside it and I understand, no, it's not, but they're equipped to bounce back from mistakes in a way that maybe I have not been in the past. How do I become that? All of this stuff builds up. Um, 
And so last week I'm playing in a two-man tournament with my buddy, very accomplished golfer in his own right. Uh, played collegiately. He's been one of the instrumental people on my own golf journey, just giving me skills, um, letting me pick his brain, playing alongside me, and just letting me watch how he performs in pressure and, and being able to pick his brain after the fact and go, how did you do that? What do you do here? All these kinds of things. So he and I team up in a two-day tournament, and after day one, we're tied for the lead. And I play okay that first day, uh, and he plays better than I do, but we're a team, and I go, all right, I can be better the next day. And we're right there, and maybe this is the tournament, you know? And we go into day two, and I'm struggling. And we're playing uh, best ball, which means we each play our own ball, and you take the best score from that individual on the whole, and that's your team score. Uh, and he plays fantastic golf throughout the day. So he's carrying the squad. Uh, and I'm trying, just trying, over and over and over, just bashing my head against the wall. I'm needed on a hole. I don't come through. I'm needed to get up and down for a birdie here. I don't come through. So we're going through this. And part of competitive golf is being able to weather the storm consistently because the storm will always be there. It's different depending on the day. Uh, but it's always there. And how you respond to that, that's a big part of your tale as a golfer. So for that day, it was, I didn't have my A stuff. Uh, and my teammate, he's consistently coming through in these moments that I'm putting him in, where I go, I'm not going to help you on this hole. You know, I'm scraping for a par and we need birdies. Uh, it's on you. And he's coming through down the stretch. Makes an incredible birdie on a par three uh, with the pressure on. Makes an incredible birdie on the following hole with me out of pocket in a fairway bunker. We come down to the final hole and we're checking the live leaderboard and we're tied with one other team and they just finished. So if we make birdie on the final hole, we win. Uh, and this is, this is something I've always kind of dreamed about. Uh, and it didn't necessarily come about in the way that I envisioned where I'm the one who's carrying the team and I'm playing the best possible golf that I can play. Something that I'm so proud of being able to do that I've done somewhat in the past, but I did not do in this tournament. But I'm there in the moment. And as a team, we're in position to win. And, you know, all of this stuff from my past, uh, the ability to stay in it mentally, especially on a day that you're not playing as well, the ability to channel physical skills that maybe I didn't have in the past. Uh, these all come into play on that hole. I hit a driver down the middle, something I struggle with even in present day, uh, erratic off the tee driver, not my strong suit. And I have a rescue in, uh, to this par five longer clubs again, not my strong suit. Uh, it's been, a constant battle throughout my entire golf journey to be able to hit these clubs. And I practice and I've done more. And I've tried to piece together in my mind how this stuff works and how can I be better in this area. Uh, and so in that moment, I hit a rescue as good as I can possibly hit it. And I'm just past the green. And I go, okay, now you're in your comfort zone. I've built my game from the green backwards. Chipping and putting, that's what I always try to rely upon. And I didn't necessarily have it that day for many holes. Uh, and on that hole... I lag it down to inside three feet and I have a little left to rider to win the tournament. And, and all I'm thinking about in that moment is anything but the putt. Um, it's thinking or not thinking about in the moment, this journey, which is eight years, which is loss after loss, after loss, after loss, after loss, literally all losses. Uh, and now finally I'm in that moment where I go, okay, before you can win, you must lose. I've lost a hell of a lot. Uh, and now I'm here sitting over a three foot putt. I would have given anything to be in this position. A lot of that is from my teammate today to give him all the credit in the world. But I'm there and I'm the person who has it on his stick. And I go up and I do everything that I've just spent years and years uh, trying to be better at. It's about 
my breath. And it's about thinking not about the putt and all these things. Uh, and, and I hit it and I feel great about it. And the next day I'm just kind of reflecting on it and going, that's really cool. And I always wish this would happen, but now that it's happened, it's kind of surreal being there and just seeing the last eight years turn into something, uh, turn into an actual moment that is, it's the fruit of my labors. And I go, mm, whatever happens from this point forward, I always have that. Uh, when you win something, uh, when you're the best score in the field, that's something that never gets taken away. Uh, so we apply this to the world of professional sports. We branch this out because it's the same concept of before you can win, you must lose. And once you've won, that's something that's never taken away from you. That's something you always remember. And it makes everything you've done till that point, all the heartbreak, all the losses, all the anguish, it makes it all worthwhile. I'm going to transition to the world of ice hockey. Um, which has been a world that has brought a lot of heartbreak to me as well as a fan of the Colorado Avalanche. And I want to read a quote from Greg Wyshynski of ESPN that will kind of set the stage for this discussion. Trust me, you learn more from losing sometimes than you do from winning, said New York Islanders coach Barry Trotz. It hardens you. You understand the moments more, and you get to a point where you don't want to lose anymore. Trotz saw this firsthand with the Washington Capitals. The team couldn't get past the second round in his first three seasons there, losing in consecutive playoff series against the Pittsburgh Penguins. The third time was the charm. Once they eliminated Pittsburgh in six games in the second round in 2018, you could have crowned them champions on the spot. Things broke their way. Their best players were all having the playoffs of their lives. But along with that, their heartbreak informed their eventual triumph. This is the path for a lot of championship teams, end quote. This is a constant uh, process of evolution, and it's one that I love continually tracking in the past and continually tracking in the present for teams that have won and for teams that have not won. Uh, and the 2018 Washington Capitals are mentioned. A team that is the epitome of before you can win you must lose a team that was coached by Barry Trotz, who gives that quote in there that I really do love uh, about being hardened by the moment, uh, about being able to understand them more after you've been through them and being better equipped in the future to perform under really uh, stressful situations and, and face adversity in a way that you need to do. For over a decade for the Washington Capitals, with the arrival of Alex Ovechkin, they are one of the very best teams in hockey, consistently. Vetchkin, most gifted goal scorer of his generation, one of the greatest goal scorers, if not the greatest of all time. Capitals build a great team around him, and every single year they're floating around there in the playoffs, and then they're losing, and they have a great, successful regular season. During this stretch, three different times, they win the President's Trophy for the very best regular season record. And then they go in and they lose, uh, and then they go to the next season and they lose. And these playoff losses, they build up. Uh, and, and alongside those, so do the labels from fans, from media, from people who follow hockey. You're chokers. You're just a regular season team. You don't have what it takes in the playoffs. Uh, this, this moment is too big for you. You don't understand how to win and you never will. All these things that we hear talked about constantly with every team that doesn't win in any given season. During that stretch, again, over a decade, going into 2018. 
they lose three different times to the Pittsburgh Penguins and Sidney Crosby, who are winning cups during that span. In the two years prior to 2018, they're ousted both times in the playoffs by Pittsburgh. And it just seems like it's gotten to a point where if things aren't clicking by now, they're not going to click. Uh, Before you can win, you must lose. But they've lost so much, it seems improbable this team is capable of winning. There's just something that exists, whether, whether it's karma, whether it's something intrinsic within these players and the way this team is structured, who knows? Maybe a combination of all those things, but it just didn't seem like they had it. In round one of the 2018 playoffs, they fall down two games to none to Columbus. Both games, one and two, are on Washington's home ice. So they're going back to game three and four in Columbus, down 2-0 in the series. If you, t- if you pause in that moment and you go and pull every single hockey fan, I promise you without a shadow of doubt, 100% of them are sitting there going, this is just, this is what the Capitals do. They don't have what it takes to win the cup. We've seen it so many times. We just know this is what this team does. They'll invent a new way to lose or they'll lose in a similar manner to what they've done before. All we know is they will lose without a shadow of a doubt. Game three goes into overtime, and nobody scores in the first overtime. Go into second overtime. Again, let's take a pause right there. Team with over a decade built up of scar tissue, of playoff losses, of falling short in the moment. They're down 2 in a series on four and ice in double overtime. Next goal ends it. Uh, they're a million different shots or plays in, in these two overtimes away from being down 3-0. Just... The line between winning and losing, man. You just can't talk about it enough. Instead, Lars Eller scores about nine minutes into second overtime. Uh, And this spurs Washington. They win game four. They win game five. They win game six. They're on to the next round. Who's looming? Uh, The Pittsburgh Penguins and Sidney Crosby. And even with this first round series against Columbus, you pull hockey fans at that point, they go, they're down 2-0. Yeah, that's cool. They came back against Columbus, but it's Pittsburgh. It's the Goliath of their conference. It's the team that they can't get by. Crosby, the ultimate winner. This team, they've won multiple Stanley Cups. The Capitals don't have what it takes to beat them. Uh, And instead, in round two, they exercise that demon. They beat Pittsburgh in six games. And the journey's not over there. I know it's mentioned within this Wyshynski piece that if you just took a quick pause after that series, you know, everybody thinks the Capitals are going to win. That's not true. They go into the Eastern Conference Finals, and they're down 3-2 in that series to the Tampa Bay Lightning. Again, adversity, always there, always there. And this team that has a decade's worth of losses built up and a decade's worth of understanding what it means to lose and how to try to be better from that. They're down 3-2 against Tampa in that series. They go back, they win Game 6 in Washington. They're playing Game 7 on Tampa's ice for a chance to go to the Stanley Cup Finals. And I don't think they're going to win the game, but I know it's game seven and anything can happen. And a minute into that game, Alex Ovechkin scores. It's 1-0 Washington. And that was the moment for me where I just go, oh my. There's something different about this year. Again, I don't know if it's karmic. I don't know if it's because this team is better equipped or this team is just better as a whole. And this core of Ovechkin and Nick Backstrom and Evgeny Kuznetsov and all of these players that have been there for a lot of these losses, they're just better at this point in their career. I don't know. All I know is it just that moment, that goal seemed to signal a shift. 
Like, oh, something's changing. These losses don't mean that this team is just an ultimate losing team that will always do that. Maybe there's something else there. Maybe this is all a, a decade-long experience that they can pull from and understand how to win. So they win Game 7 against Tampa Bay. And they play the Vegas Golden Knights in the Cup Finals. They win that series in five games. You follow the aftermath of that win. It was just a week-long celebration of the Capitals and their fans. Their players are just everywhere, piss-ass drunk. They're swimming in public fountains, just jumping around with one another. They're at baseball games, stumbling around, drinking beer out of the cup. Everything in between these two behaviors. They're just they're drunk for a week. They're celebrating for a week. And anybody who'd followed their journey just said, I get it, you know? You lose for that long, and it seems like it will never come to fruition, uh, you as a champion, and then it does. And everything in retrospect is now informed by what just happened in this moment. Uh, It was all building to a bigger goal. And the Capitals felt that in 2018. So one of the cooler stories in hockey uh, in my watching lifetime. So we come into present day. And as teams lose, I always kind of reflect on where they're at in their journey. That's just how I like to watch sports and how I process it. And also how I like to weave together years, which I talk about on the show a lot. Part of what makes watching sports so rich, it isn't just these high leverage games or series, these incredible performances in the moment. It's knowing what they mean in the context of this three-year journey or this five-year journey or this 15-year journey. And it becomes richer when you start to grasp and understand these things. The 2018 run from the Capitals, it was awesome. Just as a, as a succession of hockey series. But knowing the backstory and knowing what the Capitals had gone through to get to that point, having watched them for 12 years since Ovechkin had been there, it made it that much more impactful and meaningful and, and emotional as a fan. Last night... The Vegas Golden Knights lose game six of the conference finals to the Montreal Canadiens. And now they are out of the playoffs. Canadians, an incredible story in their own right, but I want to concentrate on the losing side. Uh, The Vegas Golden Knights, who lost in their expansion year of 2018 in the cup finals to the Capitals. It was an incredible story. This team out of the blue, they just had been created less than a year earlier, and suddenly they're there in the cup finals, they lose, but okay, great, who cares? You're kind of playing with house money at that point. Uh, And you got to lose before you win. We know that about professional sports. This will equip you better. They go into 2019 and just a heartbreak of a seven-game series against the San Jose Sharks. Game seven of that series is one of the craziest hockey games I've ever watched in my entire life. The Knights are up 3-0 at close to the midway point of the third period. And Cody Eakin takes a cross-checking major, which was debatable whether or not it was a major. That's a whole other can of worms. The main point is there's now a five-minute major penalty. San Jose's on the power play. They score four times within this major penalty to take a 4-3 lead. And you think that Vegas is dead, and they reel you back in. Jonathan Marshall scores with under a minute to go to send the game to overtime. Who the hell knows what's going to happen in that period? Um... And right near the end of the first overtime, Barclay Goodrow scores an overtime winner for San Jose. 
heartbreak for Vegas and another moment for them where they go, man, we could have won this year with just the right luck or maybe a little bit better or a combination of those two. We didn't in this incredibly bizarre game seven. Hopefully next year's the year. 2020, they're one of the best teams in hockey. They play an awesome second-round series against Vancouver, winning seven games. It seems like they're just starting to uh, build upon their losses and understand the moment more. Then they lose to Dallas in the conference finals, a team that seemed like they were blessed by God for the vast majority of that playoff run. And we're now three years in. And if you're Vegas, you go, "Ah, we just ran into a team that was getting a lot of breaks in a way that we weren't, whatever. This year... Again, one of the very best teams in hockey. They're duking it out with Colorado for the President's Trophy in the regular season. Colorado ends up winning that battle, um, but Vegas wins the war. They beat Colorado in round two in this incredibly hard-fought six-game series that, in retrospect, seems like it took a toll on Vegas because they go into the conference finals against Montreal, and it looks like it's just a heavyweight mismatch. Seemed like it was godsend to be able to play them while the Islanders and Tampa are having to play two great hockey teams in their own right. Montreal, they just seem like they're a flash in the pan. Carey Price, he's out of his mind right now, but that can't continue. Who, even on Montreal's roster, scares you? It's a bunch of people who, even people who follow hockey, they don't know a lot about. Um, But as always, hockey is never predictable. There's no such thing as a pushover series. Uh, Montreal is plus money in every game of this series. When they're in Vegas... They hover right around plus 200, an astronomical amount in hockey. When they're in Montreal uh, last night, you know, they're plus 130. They were even higher underdogs than that in games three and four. But none of that matters. It just matters what goes on on the ice. And in the series, it's razor-thin margin between winning and losing, as I always will talk about. Three of the last four games go into overtime. Two of them won by Montreal. Last night's game, a great hockey game in its own right. But it is talking point A of how playoff hockey and overtime playoff hockey will haunt you for eternity if you are on the losing side. Max Pacioretty on Vegas, he gets just a grade A chance in overtime to end it. Puck on his stick, walking in on Carey Price. Price makes a save, covers up, face off. Alec Martinez gets a fantastic chance off of that. Another save, now we're going back the other way. Uh, Philip Deneau, he makes a fantastic pass. Our Terry Letkinen, he puts the puck into the only place he could possibly put it over Robin Lehner. Series is over. Uh, Montreal celebrating. Lehner's down on the ice. Vegas is sitting there thinking about their own journey. And I'm thinking about that as a person who's watching the game four years in. Um, before you can win, you must lose. And they're at a point that's always uncomfortable where you haven't won and you go, well, what if we never do? Um, Vegas is committed to trying to win now. They've made moves that align with that vision. Trade for Max Pacioretty. Uh, This year signing Alex Petrangelo on defense. And the uncomfortable reality, as always, is one team wins per year. Everybody else doesn't. You hope one of those years it's here or multiple if you're very lucky. But once is enough. Ask the Capitals. Um, But if you don't win and if these losses start to pile up, it becomes really hard to do all those things I was talking about when it comes to amateur golf, which apply here. You know, trusting the process, having faith in it, having faith in what you're doing that 
even though it hasn't manifested itself in a win now, it will eventually. Uh, the willingness to make changes, but not too much that you alter your identity. And then the ability to, in the moment, execute all of these things. They have to work in unison. And very rarely do they do so and become a championship. So this is the question that I think about when it comes to my own team, the Colorado Avalanche, who they're very young and they're not far into this journey as a supposed cup contender. But they've suffered through heartbreak in their own right the last three years. Game seven against San Jose three years ago. Last year, game seven overtime, lost to the Dallas Stars. And this year, six games against the Vegas Golden Knights in a series that Colorado led 2-0. to zero. Um, In a game that they have game five, or in a series that they have game five on home ice, they play great. They lose in overtime on a Mark Stone game winner. Just a lot of things go into a playoff series loss that leave you sitting and thinking for a long time, especially when it comes to playoff overtime. Uh, I'll sit there for the remainder of my time watching hockey and think about, man, what if Ryan Graves just had more wherewithal in the first minute of that game five overtime and didn't feel like it was necessary to continually bang a puck off of Vegas defenders and then stand still as they flip the puck over his head to Mark Stone, who's now screeching in alone. It's just the stuff you think about. But as I think about these journeys and how they're always informed in retrospect, I say, okay, trust the process. Colorado's a great team. They're young. This core of McKinnon and Rantanen and McCarr and all these other great players, they're just barely scratching the surface of what they can do as young players. They're still getting better. This team can still, uh, they can create a better roster around these people still because they have just... uh, They're going to have cap space. They have assets they can trade and do things with to build a better team. And I look at a team that's still left in the playoffs where there's a lot of parallels between Colorado and them, the defending Stanley Cup champion, Tampa Bay Lightning, who five or six years ago were in a similar spot to where Colorado is now. Uh, And they had to go through a half decade of heartbreak on their own before it became the ultimate win. 2015, they make the cup finals against Chicago. Uh, And they lose, but at the time you go, they'll be back. This team is young. They're awesome. Their core is so gifted. They'll be back. Uh, They're only scratching the surface. And instead of seeing that loss turn into a win immediately, uh, over the next three years, they lose twice in game seven of the Eastern Conference Finals. Once to Pittsburgh, who goes on to win the cup. Once to Washington in 2018, who goes on to win the cup. Hard to watch if you're Tampa Bay. In 2019, they win the President's Trophy. 128-point regular season. Far and away the best team in hockey that year. And going into the playoffs, it just seemed like it was their year. We go, they've built up the scar tissue. They've lost. They know their lessons. They're going to win. They're just too talented not to. A lot of things that people have been saying about Colorado. Especially this year. They go into round one against the Columbus Blue Jackets. And they get swept out of the playoffs. Is it? Enormous favorites. One of the most stunning results I've ever seen in hockey. A true flame out. And a moment that if you're Tampa Bay, it's really hard to do all the things you need to do. Trust your process. Um, Make minor changes, but don't alter your identity. And then put yourself back in a position for another moment like this where you can execute. This is the moment always that's hard because you haven't had the win up until that point and you go, are we going to be the 
team that has so much talent that never wins and people point two years down the road and go, how did that team not win? I can't even believe it. And instead, 2020, uh, it's the end of the chapter within this particular journey. Tampa pieces it all together. They learn from their past. You must lose before you can win. They understand that and they use their past to execute in the moment of the playoffs last year. They go storming through it. They beat the Stars in Game 6 of the Stanley Cup Finals. Um, and they're Stanley Cup champions. They've lost. They've learned from it. Uh, and now you'll win. It's that idea. So we'll wrap up with a look ahead to tonight's Game 7. Uh, between the Lightning, Bending Cup champions, team that's won. They've been there. And the New York Islanders, coached by Barry Trotz, the man who we led this show with a quote from who understands this process. And it sets the stage for just everything I love about hockey and everything I love about sports. This high drama between a team, the Tampa Bay Lightning, and a coach, Barry Trotz, that both understand how much you can actually learn from losing. Thank you for listening to No Baller. This podcast can be found on any platform of your choosing. If you could rate and review and help spread the word, it would help me immensely. If you have additional feedback or thoughts that you want incorporated into the show, please email me at chris at thebeehive.com. Last but not least, if you would prefer to listen to this as a video, go to thebeehive.com and find No Baller.